This is Waiting for Review, a show about iOS development and the Apple ecosystem. From the UK, I'm Dave Knott, and joining me from New Zealand is Dave Wood. Uh, yes, and who just shot Xcode down and then shot Skype? Oh, okay. It came up to me saying the connection was poor and it was retrying, which I guess is partially true. <laughs> yeah, if you break Skype's connection, it tries to restore it. Um, I've had this when I've been sort of passing between Wi-Fi in the house because we've got the two access points. Mm. And I can kind of seamlessly, with a glitch, sort of move from one to the other. That's quite clever. Yeah, it's sort of... I'm guessing it, it kind of, you know, realises it's no longer sending and receiving... Um, and then starts the handshake all over again to send stuff. Nah, that's kind of cool, because it never used to. It just used to crap out completely, and then, you know, have to restart the call. Yeah. It's, well, it seems like whenever I hear about Skype these days, it's something bad. Mm. I, I always kind of held it in quite high regard. Kind of the more I listen to podcasts, the more I hear people complain about it. It seems like every time yeah. they update the app, it gets a little bit worse. But I think the actual, like the back end of it, it's pretty incredible. I mean, fair enough, if you don't like the app on whatever system you're running, well, then I'm sorry. But I think, yeah, like the back end is it's kind of a marvel when you think about it. Like the scale that they operate at. It's not, they're just like doing like 10 calls. There's probably like loads of calls going on right now. Like literally as we're doing this. Yep. Like thousands, hundreds of thousands maybe. Especially now. I, I, th- I think, I actually find Skype quite good, to be honest. You know, especially as it's a service I'm not really paying for. Like, say, when you consider the amount of volume they must be doing through their system as well. It's interesting, Uh, though, isn't it? Because if you think about it, Skype could be just the chat platform because it's got IM built into it. It's got very robust voice over IP calling, so much so that it's basically like the standard, isn't it, in a lot of ways? Like, if you're going to start a podcast, chances are you're going to do it on Skype with somebody. And yet it isn't. Yeah, we we end up using things like WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, and then you look at those two; they're both owned by Facebook. So why are there even two things? I mean, I know they acquired WhatsApp, mm-hmm. but even that in itself, two massive chat platforms owned by the same company are still kind of two little kind of islands of functionality in their own right, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Facebook doesn't mind as long as they get all the, all the data one, aggregated. One way or another, top. yeah, they get it back, I suppose. Yeah, But it just fascinates me that like how these platforms kind of come about and exist and don't catch on, even though on paper they're basically the same as their competitor that is absolutely huge. Um, I remember the kind of fight for the VOIP space um, that, that Skype kind of won at the time. Um, I'm thinking like early 2000s. I remember like Yahoo trying their hand. They had Yahoo Messenger and then that could do some video functionality and some voice over IP stuff. And I kind of remember like there being those choices, right? You could use MSN, Yahoo, MSN. Skype. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, MSN was something else just before, I think, as well. I spent so much time on MSN Messenger. Yeah, just same. incredible amount of time on MSN Messenger, like just <laughs> oh man, yeah. And then Skype came around, and people were like, well, if you want to do voice chat, you want to use Skype. And I remember thinking, why? Like this is Microsoft. Can't they just build a voice chat and put it in MSN? Um, and obviously, they did have like voice and video calling built in, but clearly Skype won. And it's just like, how did that happen? Well, in the end, of course, 
Microsoft bought Skype, yeah. didn't they? <laughs> yeah. And then MSN, is a lot of what was MSN ended up folded into what we now have in Skype. I might be wrong on this, but I remember like a few years ago um, in my old job, we had like Microsoft Communicator and it was like the business version of MSN. Right. And I'm sure that ended up with some Skype type stuff rolled into it. And I would imagine these days that if Communicator still exists, it will be a, you know, effectively be Skype. Skype for business. Tailored. Yeah. Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? I remember, I very clearly remember uh, I'm trying to think when this would be at least 2008 maybe even a bit later uh, someone saying someone messaging me on MSN Messenger saying talk to me on Facebook Messenger I'm like well, what's the point we're talking here They're like, no yeah. no you, you want to get on Facebook Messenger I was like well I don't really use Facebook I had an account I was like okay fine and it's like right so I've got to go into the Facebook website and I've got this tiny little chat window that's part of the website I was like, why, why don't we just use, like, MSN Messenger? And I just couldn't figure out why people would go to it. Um, but they did. Every so often, you know, we'll see, we see a new platform pop up or whatever, and it's like people just dive on it. And, and I still... Um, this part of me just wonders exactly how all of that works. Like, it's a so- social thing. Like a network effect. Yeah, the network effect kind of... There's probably a bunch of game theory in terms of, like, you know... How many people in your friend group need to adopt it before, you know, whatever percentage of people then adopt it afterwards and, and that curve kind of runs through it all. It fascinates me. It really does. Like, we've seen this happen with um, with Zoom in the last year, you know, becoming a, a standard for sort of group-based video chat. Um, and, you know, I, I can't remember hearing of Zoom any time really before about a year ago um and actually the first i heard of it was um was what they were doing with uh oh, mac os the installation on mac os yeah. and trying to take control of the machine and all of that and being really quite sneaky and backhanded with it all so zoom zoom doesn't get installed on our macs um, <laughs> you don't say zoom, <laughs> just, yeah just doesn't happen um i've got zoom on my on my ipad but i know that it's sandboxed there it's not installing a web server in the background or doing anything awful um to a degree but i mean there's there's an awful lot of this stuff kind of kicking around at the moment like just companies being shown up for being not very good in terms of privacy or, or other bits of of software quality um and i think looking at where iOS is going and where iOS 14 is going especially it kind of feels like people are sort of starting to to become a little bit more aware um, and I think the OS is probably contributing to that a little bit as well like certainly with, with iOS 14 and the changes they're making to Safari in terms of like notifying you about the um, what the website is doing yeah in terms of I think there's a shift going on, certainly within Apple products, um, where you know the customers are becoming just that little bit more informed about stuff. Um, I'm not sure it's translating into new behaviour yet, <laughs> but um, it sort of feels like it's it's an area that is becoming more in focus, um, and I think that's that's quite interesting to me, really, because it's it's certainly been played down for a long time. Yeah. 
I still don't know though whether people care enough about it yet to actually take action because the fact that everyone yeah. still uses Facebook after the whole Cambridge Analytica thing to me tells me that they probably don't care even if they yep. understand we well, a you've got to hear about the Cambridge Analytica thing b you've kind of got to understand it but I think you can basically get a fairly top level view of it just from reading a news article just like a BBC thing or whatever yeah and I look at my immediate family they all know about it they all understand about it either on their own or because I told them about it in great detail they're all still there and they're all still there so it's like well what do you do what can you do it's like well it's like a convenience they're not willing to give up it's too important. It reminds me. It, it reminds me of something from um, from the UK. It reminds me of we had the uh, the phone hacking scandal, like what fifteen years ago, ten years ago. Oh, was that the newspapers? Yes, hacking people's mailboxes or something. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and getting into people's voicemail and that sort of stuff, and that all played out, and that came out, and nothing really happened. You know, people just carried on buying tabloids just the same as they did before. Um, and it was, you know, there was a bit of a furore and some people um, got prosecuted and all of that sort of stuff happened, but it didn't change customer behaviour. And it just, I think it was just accepted that this is the sort of thing that, that newspapers do. And I kind of feel like that about this is, is an element of, in terms of privacy and going through all of that, you know, going through, trying to get as much of your data and doing awful things with it, all those things we know that Facebook do, I think people may have kind of had that attitude of like, oh, but that's just what social media companies do. You know, maybe it's become expected a bit. So I don't know. But I sort of feel like people are far more forgiving of, of that. And then, you know, with, with, with installing an app or whatever, um, I have certainly heard from family members, especially those using Android, where they've been like, oh, but it's asking for all these permissions, and then I just chose not to install it. So there's this other bit where, like, when it impacts them in a... a, a when they hit that friction in using the, the app or, or it, you know, on their device, it can become something that they then go, oh, I'm not going to bother. I'll look for something else. So I, I, I do wonder, like, the sort of steps Apple's making to kind of make privacy and where your data's going a bit more obvious to the user. I wonder if that's going to have, have a bit of a, a, a longer-term effect. I hope so. Just anything that can be done to kind of bring it to the forefront of people's minds. Um, because, yeah, I, I think understanding, or like hearing about it is one thing, but actually kind of getting a sense of understanding is another and anything Apple yeah. can do to kind of help in that. And I think they're in such a big position to do so because they're a huge player. It's like it's not like if, not to belittle Firefox, but if Firefox did that kind of thing where they listed all the stuff that's wrong with the website when you load it, I don't think it would have a, as big of a splash because either no. most people are probably using Chrome or whatever, you know, IE comes with Windows or whatever, or Edge is, as it is now. Yep. But I think if every iPhone and every iPad and every up-to-date Mac in the world suddenly starts doing this, that's um, it's quite powerful, actually. But like you say, will it translate into different behaviour? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not making any bets, put it that way. <laughs> no. 
did you see did you see uh did you see spotify go down yeah the other day <laughs> speaking of facebook <laughs> <laughs> the facebook sdk strikes again oh yeah i can't quite like in in kind of like a post gdpr world and everything like that a few years like roll the clock back five years maybe a bit more i might have just like been that kind of developer that would have thrown in the sdk because reasons and engagement and whatever yeah no way i'd do it now absolutely no way is that going in my app i don't even like using cocoa pods for like the simplest little thing um just because no. i don't want to be a code reviewer and i'm certainly not going to let someone else's code in my app without having first reviewed it which is exactly what you do when you trust a, a binary dependency that's been compiled for you. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, tr- you're taking a lot on trust there. Massively. And like I say, just roll the clock back five-ish plus years. I would have been sort of there like, well, they, you know, they know what they're doing kind of thing. Um, look at the company's website. It's got a flat design and yep. a funky logo. They must... They must be the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> They're real developers. Um, yeah, just do it. Whereas now, like, blimey, no way. Every decision that you take like that with a with a code base, it opens you up to having to support that dependency, um, or to be, you know, like in the fa- in the case of Facebook's SDK, it opens you up to being impacted by that that dependency as well. So, yeah, same as you, if I'm if I'm looking at one of my own personal projects if i have the opportunity to say i don't need that or i can do this in another way then even if it's a little bit of a longer route i'll I'll, I'll go that way because then future me's not got to support it always yeah Uh, with, with the facebook sdk and spotify to me it just beggars belief like the first time round, fair enough right you know stuff happens and they fixed it really quickly, and it's a pain, but move on. That was that was the warning. That was the time to sort of, on Facebook side, to make sure that whatever happened there ne- never happens again, you know. And on Spotify and other companies' side, that was the warning to go, we need to take this out, <laughs> or we need to do something to make sure it can never cut our program again. Because what happened with it is that you open up the, the app, and it doesn't get anywhere. It just immediately dies and terminates. Um, so you, you don't even see any of your songs or anything like that. The loading screen barely loads up um, because the SDK loads. It does whatever it does and then fatal errors and that's it. Um, so the first time, yeah, fair enough, like I say, stuff happens. The second time is like, well, you had the first time, that was the warning, and I just I don't get why they, they didn't take measures you know, on both sides of the fence. Yeah. And even if you did really want to use it and you want to go down the whole code review thing, there's no way you could review the Facebook SDK. It's just like it's too much. Like way too much. No. You know, I, I think I read somewhere was their motto what it used to be something like move fast and break things. It's like yep. well, not sure I really want that in my app if that's kind of like your your ethos no. don't really want any of your code in my app and it's like even when you write code that doesn't have bugs in it it's kind of like you still write pretty nasty kind of code that can you know like from a privacy point of view and so you've got the bug aspect you've got the questionable ethics and privacy behind it so i don't want that anywhere yep. near my stuff thank you very much 
I um I got into it with a few people on Twitter over this whole issue because there's a few people posting um you know, different takes and everything else on it all. And one of the things was that somebody sort of tried to suggest that um it's a Facebook issue, not a Spotify issue. And I think my my response to that very clearly was that this is a Spotify issue as soon as you know their customers can't get the back service that has been paid for. That's an issue. Like, uh, if... Um, I don't know what the equivalent sort of situation would be for, I'm trying to think of like a, a brick and mortar business or whatever that you could sort of have an analogy for it. Um, but like you're, you're, if you're halfway through a, a meal in a restaurant and the electricity cuts out or whatever, right? Um, that's a problem. That's a, no matter how, how you cut it, that's a problem for the business. If your electricity, you know, if that goes down because you're using, I don't know, a third party means of generation right you've got like a diesel generator at the back or something yeah you've got the facebook solar panel on the on the top or whatever it is you know and that it keeps going down because of that well at some point it's not really the electricity company's fault or the provider's fault it's the business's fault for choosing to use that to support what they're doing and that's how i feel about spotify you know, it's the case of like first time, fair enough. A second time, it's like, what are you doing, really? You know, this this is not um, not the way to run things. So, and I, I respect, you know, they've got the SDK so that people with, with um, people can use Facebook login to access their accounts. Um, but again, it feels like that there could be another means of doing so if you threw enough development behind it you, you could support those users either by migrating them to a proper account or providing some sort of web-based means of authenticating and bouncing back into the app i don't know give it some thought you know <laughs> um but to affect everybody else by taking the app down is just like that's that's not on really um Clearly, I still feel quite cross about this. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm using Apple Music now, and um, I've got a subscription to that. Um, I'm using an app to bounce my playlists across from Spotify to Apple Music. Um, and then we'll see. Over the next month, I kind of have to convince my wife to go the same route. And then we can uh, cancel Spotify. Yeah, it's fairly robust, yeah. Apple Music, isn't it? It is. I, I must say, I do prefer Spotify's interface in general. Like the discoverability seems better. But yeah, yeah, I'd it, agree with that. It just feels more. Um, I don't know what the best way. It feels a bit more clicky. Yeah, like on Spotify, if you hover over something like an artist name or a, an album name, it underlines and you can click it and go to there. Whereas Apple Music, it, I feel like there's a lot of dead ends. Where I was like, oh, I wanted to go there yes. and I can't. Yep. Um, all solvable stuff. Yeah, just that little bit, little bit annoying. Um, for me, this whole thing made me start thinking about like iCloud Drive music players. Whether there's a kind of a solution there, because I always end up listening to yeah. the same stuff and end up paying like ten pounds a month. That's what always bugs me. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not very good at discovering music, so I'm 
just curious as to what's out there really because I would really love that because my yeah. library's not massive really not massive and I've got there are there are some apps there's um this flag box is one of them um that I remember coming across it's not quite an iCloud music player though I mean like if I say iCloud music player I'm thinking of something where I can chuck my mp3 collection into a folder in my iCloud drive yeah and then play it from there that's exactly what I've got in mind yeah yeah. And have you play pause stuff synced across all your devices with cloud kit yep playlists um, all some, that kind of stuff i feel like there's an opportunity there for an indie dev and don't say that you'll give me an idea I mean, we, <laughs> well I, I sketched out a whole design for an app like this last year Did you? and yeah yeah i've got i go and make it got designs and everything i could be convinced <laughs> <laughs> well if you don't i will <laughs> fair enough <laughs> I think there's room there's room for multiple apps that's the thing right it's it's one of those things where if you do it right the the collection lives in one spot and then it just comes down to um whatever app to read it I guess um when I checked it out there were a few things I was waiting for in the OS to really kind of make it work like um what I couldn't really get a grip on at the time was was reading the folder from the iCloud drive and and kind of having that um, just read from this area and I think there are ways and means of doing it but it wasn't immediately obvious to me as to, to how to sort of get that set up I suppose um, your entire interaction with the iCloud drive folders are going to be via APIs yeah so uh, well not not via web APIs so by via um, via the, the the standard like file browsing APIs mm-hmm was kind of the route that I was looking the problem I remember having was that the default um, file browser didn't seem to give me the handoff I needed to create the link to the folder um, and that I was potentially going to have to do something custom to sort of browse to where you needed to be and get the payload sorted um, I don't know I, I need to look at it all again but I feel like stuff's perhaps moved on a little bit um, since I looked at all of that mm, it'd be an interesting idea Especially yeah. now what we've got with like Swift UI and everything, you can make something that spans all the platforms really nicely, couldn't you? Yeah, potentially. It, uh, it could be quite fun. Um, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> Should... <laughs> Go on, make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could definitely be convinced. Um, I'm, I'm Actually, this... Um, this kind of leans nicely into me sort of talking a little bit about what I've been up to for the last week. So talking of Swift UI and getting back into indie app development and that end of stuff. Um, I've been looking at app architectures again and we touched on it last week and I was hitting a few dead ends and kind of being a bit, um, finding it a bit awkward about sort of setting up an MVVM architecture and having nice dependency injection and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I found a means of solving some of my problems that I was hitting last week. And I've been drafting a um, like a, a template app uh, a little bit over the weekend. So I think probably this time, you know, over the next week or so, I should have something to sort of show for that. So that my, my plan is to essentially wrap all of this up, 
and publish it on a public um, Git repo again, like I did um, earlier on in the year. Right. With um, I had an example of an architecture that was MVVM and coordinators. Yep. Um, and I must say that that was me very much kind of trying to assert the same level of um, of approach that I've had with UIKit on Swift UI. So that repo, I should probably nuke it or put a big warning sign on it because I, it really isn't how you should go about building a Swift UI app. Um, but I, f- I feel like I now know a bit more. I've, I've, I've kind of lent into SwiftUI's approach a bit more as well. Um, and the problems that I was having last week of kind of setting all the underneath, like, gummings of the architecture um, in a way that was sort of flexible, I've, I've solved most of those problems. Um, so hopefully, yeah, I'll have a, a repo to publish that will be kind of a template uh, SwiftUI, MVVM, nicely injectable dependency sort of setup (laughs) Um, and then part of my purpose for doing so really is that I want to make it really really easy that if I have an idea for an app I can just grab that template and just off I go you know I've kind of got um, I'm using um, an app called Generamba um, which is like a module generation um, f- sort of thing. Um, and I've got code templates. So every time I want to spin up a new view with a view model, I can just hit Generamba, give it the commands and, and the name of, of the module that I want to create. And then boom, I've got these files and the stubs in Xcode. Um, and so I'm setting it up with all of those sort of things so that I can sort of just... Yeah, clone the repo, rename a few things, um, and off I go. I've got my my sort of stubbed out beginner project. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So that'd be interesting that to kind of see what you get back. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, presumably, other people are going to look at it and have opinions. That'd be quite well, a nerve wracking, but <laughs> quite cool in its own <laughs> way as well, right? Yeah, and, and nerve-wracking, yes, but on the other side of it, part of me is um, is sort of feeling like, well, I'm happy for people in the community to take a look, criticise, and all of that, as long as I kind of, you know, get a better suggestion out of it. It's one of those things where it's like this sort of still feels like it's emerging um, around SwiftUI at the moment, and, and how to actually architect your app. It's a, it's a decision that can go one of many ways, and I think you kind of have to you have to pick your poison, you have to pick your constraints and, you know, what it is you want the architecture to give you. Um, and so it sort of still feels quite an embryonic phase with, with um, SwiftUI at the moment. And it doesn't feel like it's settled, you know, in mm. terms of like, this is absolutely how you're supposed to do MVVM or how you're supposed to do any other architecture or whatever. Um, so I'm happy for people to criticise and happy to take that kind of feedback in whatever form it comes because my understanding is still coming on and you know hopefully that then makes it a better thing after that um yeah that, that there's no one way to do all of this stuff and that's that's kind of part of the problem 